Good morning once again. I have to tell you, this is actually pretty cool standing here behind this pulpit. And even when I built this pulpit, I never stood behind it. I always stood in front of it, on the side of it, or I put it up on a table. I never stood behind it. So it's actually, it's actually pretty cool to be here. And uh, I, I am thankful for this opportunity to share with you. And so I just want to open up by saying a phrase that I've heard for probably my entire life of when I started working, which at some time, you may think, I started doing stuff around the age of eight to nine years old. And I always helped my father, I helped my uncles and stuff, but they're always hard workers. And they would say, you know, people would be around them and say, oh, he's such a hard worker at such a young age. That's a good thing. It's rare. You know why? Because good help is hard to find. Has anybody ever heard that phrase before? Good help is hard to find? I've heard it over and over throughout my entire life. Good help is hard to find. As I got older, started working more permanent jobs, uh, I always was instilled with this, this thing that I always had to work the hardest. My father, who was very strong, strong guy, when you worked with him, he had an on button and an off button, nothing in between. So when you worked, you worked and you stopped and that was it. And so that's how I was taught from a young, a young boy to work. And then when I worked with my uncle, when I got a little bit older, he was the same way. It was, when it was work time, it was work. So when I ended up working for myself and having my own business, and I had to rely on other people to work for me, that phrase always came back. It is hard to get good people. Good help is hard to find. And so I really understood then what that meant. However, uh, even right now, I'm in the position where I have two jobs. One is I'm a supervisor. And I supervise volunteers who are not paid people. So that's these people come out to work and they work hard and they're not being paid for it. And so I supervise them. I take that very seriously. My other job, I'm not a supervisor. I'm just your average, average worker, maintenance person who has to answer to other people. So I have this unique perspective of being the person who has to work hard for somebody else and then have someone else who comes and works hard for me. And it's a very unique thing. And what I've realized throughout my life, and this good help is hard to find, is that I think good leaders are hard to find. And I, I thought that because, you know, no matter who you work for, whether you're a uh, a maintenance person like I am, whether you work in hospitals, it doesn't matter. When you're working for someone else, you, you have to uh, do, do what they say. You have to work as hard as you can. And so when you have a leader who is not a good leader, it makes your job extremely tough. But when you have someone who knows how to lead people, who knows how to do the right things, the proper things, that makes your job so much easier. So I say good leaders are hard to find. And I'm, when I think of a good leader, there's a couple characteristics that I like to look at in a leader. Number one, he's strong, a strong leader. Intelligent, good leaders should be pretty smart. Compassionate, now that was one of the things that I was never learned growing up about compassion. 
That was never taught in my family. We didn't have any for anybody. But I have learned that over the years, that being compassionate is is a huge thing. Being humble, selfless, good characteristics. Having great courage as a leader is a great thing. And I saved this for last, but I think this is one of the most important things I have as a great leader or a good leader would be integrity and the fear of God. Because if you have integrity and you have the fear of God in your heart, knowing that what you do, you do for God, and because of God, you're giving back, that just makes all the other things fall into place a little bit easier. So when I think about all these characteristics, uh, when I contemplated on what I wanted to share this morning, as uh, when Pastor Jacob asked me if I would uh, preach today, I picked a person in the Bible who I found had a lot of these qualities and was a great leader. And that person is Nehemiah. So if you would like, open up your book to Nehemiah, and we're going to go through a lot of Nehemiah. We're going to cover a lot of the things that Nehemiah did, and all the, and we're going to read a lot of Nehemiah. So if you want to, we're going to start right at Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah demonstrates a lot of the qualities that, are, that they have here that I, I put down as far as leadership abilities. And so there's three things that we're going to look at in Nehemiah that, uh, where he is called to lead his mission. Three different ways. And one is repair, one is rebuild, and another is to restore. So keep those things in mind as we go, as we go through this uh, whole thing. And you're going to see where he repairs, where he rebuilds, and where he restores. So we're, we're going to open up and we're give you a little bit of background Right now, Nehemiah, it opens up, and uh, now Nehemiah knows that the walls have been in ruins for probably about 140 years. He knows this. However, uh, when some of the people who were the exiles that went back to Jerusalem came back and they were giving him information, uh, namely his brother, were coming back and telling him, giving him the full story of how the walls were being in ruins, and it was such a mess that they had here that it finally hit his heart that the place of his, his family, his people, is, it is in ruins. And so even though he knew that the walls were bad, hearing it firsthand from his brother how bad it was, it really pierced him to the heart. And so now we're going to open up uh, with Nehemiah, and we're going to go to verse 4. And when Nehemiah hears what his brother has to say about the walls, this is the first thing that Nehemiah does as he thinks about this. And we're going to read... Nehemiah uh, 1, verse 4 and following. Actually, we're going to read the whole, the rest of the verse, or the rest of the uh, chapter. It's, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and I wept, and I mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, and I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him, and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept your commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. 
Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep the commandments and do them, though your, your outcasts are in uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to, to the place that I have chosen, to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight the fear of your name and give success to the servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was cupbearer to the king. So let's start. The first thing that Nehemiah does when he hears of the ruins of the, of, uh, the walls, he mourns, he weeps. He fasts and he prays day and night, diligently. I mean, and this, this went on for a while. It's not just you know, a little prayer. The fact that he, he decides that he's going to go to pray to God. But in his prayers, Nehemiah realizes that the reason they're like this is because of sin. They know it's their sin, what they have done. And so he needs to confess. And he's asking for forgiveness for all the sins that they have done for this so that he, God can speak to him. And guide him in the way that he needs to be guided to go and do this thing. So when you think about some of the biggest tasks in the world that you may ever think about having to do, is prayer the first thing that comes up in your mind? For me, sometimes not always. I eventually get there, but it's through my own stupidity that it takes me longer. But if you realize it, when you take that time to first pray and ask God to open up your eyes, open up your mind to what give you the, the guidance that you need to have, it will make life so much easier. The fact that he takes his time and really uh, asks for forgiveness for all the sins that they have done is, is so big because he, he is truly repentant of what happened and what they've done. And so this, by doing this, it's going to open up their hearts or his heart to be able to receive God's blessings. And so that's huge. Prayer, the main thing that we're going to look at right here is prayer. Prayer, prayer, prayer. I don't think we can pray enough. Uh, I, I, I don't think, I shouldn't, I shouldn't say I don't think. Uh, in the past, I have not been a huge praying person. I always find myself praying, uh, like I said, when it usually gets to the point where I really have no other alternative. And it's like, oh, oh wait a minute, I can pray. Uh, I have since have learned through uh many great teachings that we've had in this in this church that prayer is so huge and so big and I've become a praying person. I find myself doing most of my praying when I'm alone doing mundane tasks that would drive you crazy. That seems to be when I, I usually do most of my praying and, and talking to God. And I think you know everybody has their own place where they do their praying, but I think wherever it is, I think we need to do it. So remember, prayer is so huge. And we're going to see where all through this book where prayer is big uh, all throughout. But there's one phrase I want to uh, look at right now, and it says, Now I was cupbearer to the king. And it, I mean, that just there all of a sudden I was cupbearer to the king. And so I actually looked and researched what the cupbearer did uh, in those days. And it was basically, he was like a guinea pig for the king. You know, you think, you know, the king worries about people wanting to sabotage him or, or kill him. So he would drink the wine 
that uh, before the king did, just to detect and see if there was any poison. It was a very uh, selfless job, actually, because if he didn't detect poison, he could have been killed by the poison. And uh, so, but not only that, it was a, a job where he would actually look to find uh, good wines for the for the king to drink. And so there's different things, but however it was, it was a very honorable job. He was just a servant. He was just a normal person who was a servant uh, to the king. And But the thing is, he was so trustworthy, he had to be trustworthy so that the king could trust him in everything that he did. And uh, Nehemiah was that. He was always trustworthy. And so to have this job is huge. And so... As we think about this, so now he has this, his job, he gets to see the king regularly. And so now we know that he's trustworthy, so we know that the king really trusts him. Let's read in verse, or chapter 2, we're going to read on, starting in verse 1. And that is, in the month of Nisan, in the the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had, not, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, Why is your face so sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Now, the king, or Nehemiah, when he was with the, in the presence of the king, he was always happy, always smiling. And so when he when he comes before the king and the king notices that he is sad, he knows it's a sadness of heart. But the the I think the interesting thing that I, I found with this is he said, I was now afraid. And I'm thinking, why would he be afraid? And so as I studied, I you realize that when you're in the presence of the king, you're not allowed to be sad. You have to be happy, you have to be cheerful. If you had a sad or gloomy face, the king would uh, take that as maybe you're plotting against him. So if he thought that there was a plot against him and he could read it in your eyes because you're sad, you're done. So the fact that Nehemiah was sad in his presence, he knew it was a risk that he was doing and he had to take. So let's read on. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad? When the city and the place of my father's graves lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Now the king knew right away. He asked him, what are you requesting? So now Nehemiah is right there face to face. The king's asking him, what do you want? What's the first thing that he does? He prays. Now he may not be fasting and mourning at this point. But he definitely prays. It's one of these uh, prayers where he's probably stood there and saying, God, give me the words that I need to have to share with the king right now. It's like he's taking this time to talk to him. So that's another time in which he prays. And so he says, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? Now, I have to tell you, when I read this part, being a contractor and doing uh, construction work for years, uh, when I read this, I I literally laughed out 
out loud because the king's asking him, how long is this going to take? And the first thought that came to my mind, two weeks. You know, it's, a, it's, a, it's a common thing. You know, a contractor asks how long it's going to take. If you ever saw the money pit and they have this huge task of redoing a house, how long is this going to take? Two weeks. Everything's two weeks. So I thought that that was funny that he asked how long it was. And so through this conversation, he tells him how long he's going to be. It doesn't say what he tells him how long. He just he gives him a time. But he has the intelligence and the foreknowledge to ask the king to give him letters and so that he can have passage to wherever he needs to go. He has letters to be able to go into the king's forest and cut down trees to make uh, the gates that ha have all been burned down. So he had the he he's setting up everything that he needs to do in this one conversation that he's having right here. He's getting all his, the things that he needs so that he can go and perform his task. And that's what he does. And uh, so we're going to move on and we're going to see what happens once he gets all this stuff in place. And so now Nehemiah does what any good contractor would do is, you know, I've had many people say, listen, I want to build a wall. I want to do this. I want to do this. What will it take? How long? How much money? What will I have to do? It's like, you know what? I can't give you an answer by you telling me this. I need to see it. I need to see it. So what does Nehemiah do? Nehemiah goes and he he surveys the wall. He goes and he looks at everything that he needs to look at for the wall. And he looks and he checks out the city gates. And uh, it's it's pretty bad. And so he uh, he goes by himself and he goes at night so that nobody knows what he's doing. But while he's doing this, he's going and he's making a plan. As he's circling the, 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 the walls by himself looking at this, he knows what he has to do, and he has the ability and the knowledge to know what's the best way to attack this, this job. And so what he does is he gathers all the people there, and everywhere where they live, they're all gathered together. They all are going to build the wall. He rallies everyone, okay? So when we, we first looked at, uh, I said this about repairing, he repairs, he's going to repair the broken walls and the burned city gates so Jerusalem might be safe. Okay, that was the repairing, and that's what he's looking at. He's looking at how to repair it. But it also, as he, as he circles the gates and he's thinking about how he's going to rebuild and repair the walls, the uh, rebuild comes in, and he's going to help rebuild by empowering the people to each of them to work and defend and serve God through active participation. So what he's doing is he's, he's bringing everyone in on this. He's leading this group, but he's bringing everyone in. So everyone in front of your area, your home, your property, you're going to rebuild the wall. And they're all going to work together to rebuild the wall because you know what? He prayed to God. God softened the heart of the, the king and gave him everything that he needed. So guess what? Everything is going flawlessly. So that so now when Nehemiah is going, he's building these walls. He has nothing to worry about, nothing whatsoever. He's going to just go and work, and he'll be done with these walls in no time. And he has n nothing to worry about. Not so, not so. As you know, we all realize that no matter what we do, whenever we're doing something, even if 
it is God's will to be done, it does not mean that it's going to be a, a flawless effort, or it doesn't mean that there's not going to be any opposition whatsoever. And so, uh, how do I keep going back to that? I don't know. And uh, so, there is opposition. And so, we're going to go and look. Now, if you want to read Nehemiah, the whole thing, I'm sorry I keep taking my glasses off, but I am half blind. I can see you, but I can't see the words, and so it makes it easier. But if you want to read Nehemiah, the whole thing, it's a great thing to read, and you can read where all the families and the clans and, and all the names, and I, I think it takes up a lot of time, and I think it's something that we should read, but it's not something that I'm going to read here uh, this morning. So it's very important to see what they do. And... Uh, he surveyed the wall, and he got all the people to do what they had to do. And then there was opposition. Chapter 4, Nehemiah falls, into, falls to the opposition. Well, he doesn't fall, but he falls into where they want to they wanna stop the wall. And uh, we go to Nehemiah 4, and we're going to start in the first verse. And it says, Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews, and he said in the presence of his brothers and the armies of the Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Why or will they, will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn ones at that? Tobiah, the Amorite, was beside him, and he said, Yes, what they are building, if a fox goes up on it, he will break it down. He will break down their stone wall. So there's people that are, right now, this is, to me, reading this, is, this is like childish stuff. This is like kindergarten through third grade stuff where they're saying, Oh, they're going to build a wall. It's never going to work. You know, if a fox runs up on it, it's going to fall over. And they're kind of like just making fun of them and you know, poking fun at them. But there's real opposition here. Uh, even though they're poking fun, because they don't think it can be done. And yet, uh, Nehemiah knows that it can be done. And so, what happens next? We'll keep going in verse 4. It says, Hear, hear O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads, and give them up to, the, to be plundered in the land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt, and let their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. Well, they're doing this with the builders, and they're just trying to discourage them. Any discouragement that they can cause to a builder or somebody doing something, if you're doing something good and somebody comes up and says, why are you doing that? That's, that's stupid. You know, if, if it enables them to tear them down, if they're not strong enough to be able to just say, listen, I, I, I don't pay attention to this stuff. But if it starts working on them, it starts tearing them down. Now the workers are starting to get defeated within themselves if this happens. And so they pray. This is another spot where they pray and they ask God to, to take care of this to, uh, so that they don't have to worry about that. And then and as we go on, it says, So we built the wall, and all the wall was joined together to half its height, for people had a mind to work. And I think that is one of the most key phrases here when it comes to the people and the active participation that he tried to instill in these people is the fact that they all had a mind to work. And I think that all of us have to have a mind to work, whether it's working, whether it's parenting, because parenting is work, whether it's grandparenting, 
It doesn't matter. Whether it's ministry stuff, everything that we do, we have to have a mind to work. If you don't have a mind to work, you're kind of like wasting time. You have to really want to do it. And if you are putting your trust in God and you have God in your heart, especially as it comes to ministry work, when I think of this and people having a mind to work, uh, the first thing that came to my mind was the awake. And I know how much my wife puts into it, but I see all the other people who are just willing to come in and all the things that they do, it, and they do not make a peep about any of it. They just go about their business, all the workers there. And you know why? Because they have a mind to work. And I think that is so crucial that each and every one of us need to have that mind. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Amorites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward, that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come to fight against Jerusalem, and they caused confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Again, they're hearing now all of a sudden it's not a joke anymore to them. It's like, you know, all of a sudden now maybe it's going to take uh, an elephant to knock down the walls instead of a fox. I don't know. But now they're starting to get nervous, so they're really starting to push. But the people, again, once what do they do? They pray. And so they're worried that they're going to be attacked. So we pray, and, and this I, I believe this is another key verse, and we pray to our God and, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. So not only do they pray, this is a part of the act of participation. They're not just going to pray and say, God is going to take care of us. We could just sit here and do what we're doing, and God's going to take it. Now, that's not to say that God can't, but we need to be take an active part in the things that we do. And so they set a guard day and night to protect them. And it says, in Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said they will, they will not know or see when they will come among us and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews have lived near, near them and came from all directions and said to us ten times, You must return to us. So in the lowest parts of the space between the wall and the open places, I stationed the people by their clans with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and the officials and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So now it's not just he's, he's setting a guard and he's telling everybody, bring your swords, bring your bows, bring your spears. It's going to be work, but it may be a fighting work. And so there's no, there's no sitting back on your laurels and just waiting for things just to happen just because we know that, we know that God is in control. We have to take uh, an active stance in what we're doing. And so when our enemies heard this, it was known to us that the God had frustrated their plan, and we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah. 
who were building on the wall, those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each laborer on the work with one each laborer on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. And I said to the nobles and to the officials and the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the, from the break of dawn until the stars came out at night. I also said to the people at that time, let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers, nor my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his in his right hand. So imagine trying to work like that, uh, working and having to have stones. Now, I don't know if you realize how big this wall was. And uh, I looked up the size of it last last night. And this wall was roughly two and a half miles long. And a little over 39 feet high. This is a huge wall. And on the average, about eight, eight to eight and a half feet thick. So the amount of stones and the things that they had to use to build this wall is massive. And so the fact that they had to work carrying stones with one hand and having a sword in the other hand is just huge. But what they did is they were able to watch each other's backs. The fact that they're all working together and taking care of each other and watching their backs is so big. And so uh, even though they're praying and they know that God's in control, they are still taking the active participation to be able to do this job that they have to do. So, the oppression is there. Some of the other things that I mentioned uh, about uh, Nehemiah, as far or any as far as leadership is being strong, intelligent, compassionate, humble, selfless, courageous. Uh, I would like to. Um, show Nehemiah's compassion, his compassion and his integrity. And uh, we're going to find that in Nehemiah 5. And, you know, it's one thing to be a leader. It's one thing to be strong and to be intelligent. But uh, to have a compassion to where you really care about people and, uh, and you're concerned, uh, it's a whole other thing. And you don't usually find all these characteristics together in one person. And so we're going to look at Nehemiah 5 and, uh, and read on. Let's, let's see where we go with this. So now there arose a great outcry of the people and of their wives against the Jewish brothers. For, for there were those who said, with our sons and our daughters, we are many. Let us get grain that we may eat and keep alive. There were also those who who said, we are mortgaging our fields, our vineyards, and our houses to get grain because of the famine. And there were those who said, we have borrowed money for the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Now our flesh is as the flesh of our brothers, our children are as their their children. 
yet we are forcing our sons and our daughters to be slaves, and some of our daughters have already been enslaved. But it is not the, in our power to help, for other men have our fields and our vineyards. So now they are just uh, being forced to give up their fields, their children to, for taxes, and just to, it's actually oppressing them, keeping them down. And they're not able to get ahead. They're not able to, to function. And everything that they're doing is not for them. It's for somebody else. And so they, you know, they, it's, it's very difficult to do. And so when Nehemiah hears this, uh, this is his response. And it's in verse 6. He says, I was very angry when I heard of their outcries in these words. I took counsel with myself, and I brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, you are exacting interest, each from his brother. And I held a, a great assembly against them and said to them, We, as far as we are able, have brought back our Jewish brothers who have been sold to the nations. But you even sell your brothers that they may be sold to us. They were silent and they could not find a word to say. So I said, The thing, the thing that you are doing is not good. Ought you not to walk in the fear of our God, to prevent the taunts of the nations and our enemies? Moreover, I and my brothers and my servants are lending them money and grain. Let us abandon this exacting interest. Return them to this day to their, their fields, their vineyards, their olive orchards, and their houses, and their percentage of money, grain, wine, and oil that they have been exacting from them. Then they said, We will restore these and require nothing from them. We will do as you say. So Nehemiah was a little ticked. He didn't really care for that. And so uh, Nehemiah was also the governor, so he had some power at this point. And so uh, he didn't like this, and he made them give back what they had and so that these people can live and survive and thrive the way that they should be. And that's a compassion of the heart, especially for someone who is in uh, very high leadership over them. And so I think uh, compassion is uh, very – for some people it's very easy. For some people, it's a little bit more difficult. And uh, I think that we need to take a lesson here out of this book and just realize how compassionate he was uh, for these people and that he was able to really uh, do things because he had the power to, to change things. And I think if we have a power, we have the opportunity to change things in a compassionate way, I think that we need to take that, that power. Or not take that power, but do it. So now, as we move on, we realize... He rebuilt the walls, got all the people together to work together to rebuild the walls. He got the people to work together to help defend each other, to support each other, and, and gathered everybody together. It was a huge thing. Now, uh, what I didn't say, now the wall is basically finished at this point. And when I said how big the wall is, uh, this wall was completed in 52 days. 52 days is absolutely insane to be able to do the work that they did in that time. There is no way, other than the fact that they had God behind them, that they were able to accomplish this, and the fact that they had uh, Nehemiah being such a God-fearing person that he was able to lead them in the way to be able to accomplish this, this task. But the one thing that I mentioned of the three things, which is repair, rebuild, and restore – Nehemiah restored a dedication to the Word of God as a spiritual renewal for God's people. 
So not only did he rebuild the wall, he got the people together. He is instilling the fear of God into these people and God's word. And so where we find that part, uh, that is going to be in chapter 9. If we can switch to Nehemiah chapter 9. This, this task that, that he is overtaking is so, so big, but it's not just about a building project. It's not just about having a deadline that you have to meet to get things done. This is about rebuilding the people and restoring the people back to wanting to be able to follow God. And so we're going to uh, start in uh, verse 1 of chapter 9. It says, now on the 20th, 24th day of the month of the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day, for another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Joshua, Benai, uh, Cadmiel, Shemabiah, Bunny, uh, all those names right there. Okay. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass by them. Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessing to your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessings and praise. So what is going on here? It says they assembled. What does that mean to assemble? They assembled. We came here. We assembled this morning in church. It is assembled. They got all of these people together. And not only they, they, they are doing now what Nehemiah did in the beginning when he first got word of the wall. They're fasting. They're praying. They're confessing their sins to God of what they have done. And they're taking this opportunity to worship God. This is daily. This is, this is not just a, a small portion of the day. They read the word for a quarter of the day. So uh, what's a quarter of the day? A quarter is what, about six hours? Six hours of the day. They're reading, they're reading God's word. Another quarter of the day, they're praying and worshiping. So that means for six hours, they're going to read the word. After they get done reading the word, they're going to stand up here, and they're going to sing, and they're going to praise their God for what they, have, what they have done, what they have accomplished, and just the fact that they... It is their God. Uh, this book is such a huge inspiration to anybody. It doesn't matter whether you want to be a leader, whether you are a leader. We're all followers. Even when we're leaders, we're following. We're following Jesus. So it doesn't matter. Everybody's a follower. And uh, just uh, every now and again, God picks a special person and instill great leadership qualities in that person to help guide us in the ways that we need to be to be guided. And so I look at Nehemiah, and I think I originally thought that the book of Nehemiah, uh, when I first heard a sermon on Nehemiah way back in the 80s, uh, I thought, you know what? I can relate to this guy. I'm a builder, and not only a builder, but a mason. Block work. I started hauling blocks, like I said, with my dad and my uncle from when I was a little boy. And so I can relate to him in the fact of what he did here. And the fact that he did it in 52 days is absolutely miraculous. However, being young as a Christian compared to being a little bit more mature as a Christian, 
I now look at this and I look at why, why was this able to be done? Not the fact that it was done. Why was it able to be done? Because Nehemiah feared God. Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah asked for forgiveness. He confessed his sins. And he put all of his hope in God. And so as we, as we, what, we wanna, what I would like you to take from this today is the fact that we need to look towards the great leader that we have, which is Jesus Christ, and what he did. And like uh, the catechism said today, that he spilled his blood for us. Okay? And so we want to look to that. And I would say that anybody, if you want to be used, you will be used. If you want to do something, you know, we are all in this whole big thing here together. And we all need to find things that we can do. Uh, the Awake, I mentioned earlier, we have a lot of uh, people that are involved in that. They are great people. Selfless acts. And it's all because they just want to help and be and have a mind to work. We all need to have a mind to work. and We all need to have a mind that we need to watch each other's backs. We, you know, we talked about them working on the wall, standing with the sword in one hand and working. Do you think that that's that far from where we are right now? There are so many places out in the world where we go to work, you have to worry about whether or not maybe you're not going to get speared, maybe you're going to get shot. You have to defend yourself. You have to take an active participation in the things that we have to take care of each other. Because if we don't take care of each other, who's going to take care of us? The Christian values in these, these days are so far gone that it's not even funny. And so with this, uh, we need to, to really look to God, pray, read God's word. God's word, this is truth right here. This is truth, and this is all we need. And, and pray to God and just make sure that we do pray for our leaders and watch each other's backs and just work in a way that, uh, and I really love that word, it's active participation. We all have to be active in what we're doing. Thank you. Oh, if, well, all right, I'll pray while the worship team comes up. This is different for me, Frank. I'm usually just coming up. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have a word of prayer, and as uh, the worship team, or as we call them today, uh, David and Frank, uh, they're going to come up, and we're going to sing, How Great Is Our God. And when they were singing this song this morning, uh, that song was on my mind, because we think about it, what we just talked about here, how great is our God that he was able to do this work? How great is our God in our lives? So why don't we just stand while we pray? Lord, we're just so thankful uh, for this day and thankful that you're working in our lives. Lord, I just pray that we are uh, make ourselves available to you and just, just uh, give ourselves over to you and just uh, use us for whatever it is you want us to do and just be with us and let us uh, really realize deep in our hearts how great you are and the fact of all the things that you do for us on a daily basis, even the things that we don't even realize you're doing while, it, while it's happening. And so, Lord, I thank you for this, and I thank you that I'm part of this great family and that uh, we have Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we can look forward to as a great leader. And, Lord, we just do this all in Jesus' name. Amen.